1, John chapter 1. Um, our tradition is to be preaching through books of the Bible. We're working our way through Deuteronomy, but it's Advent season, so we're going to do a series here for the next few weeks, really dealing with what it looks like to adore Jesus. The more we know of him, the more we adore him, and so we're going to spend our time leading up to Christmas doing that. Aren't you thankful for people who lead us in worship every week, for um, the people who can step in and lead us and, and serve us in that way, from playing the organ to playing instruments, to singing so beautifully, to and, and the fact that we have so many people that the Lord has gifted us with to do that. So I'm thankful for all of them. And, and my favorite my favorite singers, though, in the church are you guys. Um, and uh, Sean and I were talking, and he's like, he didn't expect the uh, the second song that we sang, This is Jesus, for everybody to sing out so loud. I said, but they know the tune. They, they recognize the tune. And once the tune starts, they're in. And uh, so I'm so thankful for, for them leading for the way. Uh, you all have been singing. So just follow along in your copy of God's Word. John chapter 1, we look at verses 1 through 18. The Word says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word for us today, and it reveals to us who Jesus is, not just so that we would know, but that we would adore and receive. So as we work through this series of Advent and we look through what adoration is, we're going to be dealing with this idea. What does it mean to adore? Today, I'm going to give you right at the beginning what it means to adore. And then we're going to revisit it at the end of the sermon. To adore Jesus means to receive Jesus. If you're going to adore Jesus, it means to receive Jesus. One of my favorite and one of the most beloved Christmas carols, and we're actually going to sing this at the end of the service today, and it's going to kind of be a, a theme you're going to hear throughout this Advent series is, O come, all you faithful. And that line, O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Within that refrain is really the central theme and reality for believers that we were looking at in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember Deuteronomy 6, we've looked at for the past four weeks. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right, with all your soul, and with all your might. And Jesus said, and your mind. And we're told that this is what the law hinges on, that we love the Lord our God. What does it look like to love the Lord? With everything, it's to adore him. 
And so we're going to look at why we should, why we do adore Jesus. What does it look like to adore him? And why the world does not adore him, why the world rejects him. So what is adoration? To love the Lord your God, to praise, to worship him, to exalt him, to obey him. C.S. Lewis said, I was not born to be free. I was born to adore and obey. See, real freedom is the freedom to see the Lord for who he is and adore him and obey him. That's the abundant life that Jesus has called us to. See, we can admire God for his attributes and then Worship leads us into understanding more and experiencing more of those attributes so that we are led to adoration. Adoration is different than admiration. So we can like someone or something, we can admire someone or something, we can respect someone or something, but adoration is different. Adoration requires intimate knowledge. Adoration requires nearness. Adoration requires a growing understanding. The more you know about someone or something, the more you decide whether you like it or don't like it, whether you adore it or don't adore it. Marriage is much like this. You adore your spouse, and if you're doing it right, the more you learn of them, the more you adore them. Because the things you're going to miss one day about your spouse are not the way they look. It's going to be the way they snore. Anybody travel for a living and you're out of town a lot and you can't sleep in hotels? That was me this whole week, right? And Joanie's asleep before I, like, like I'll turn to talk to her and she's <laughs> gone. Like, sometimes I just go upstairs and she's asleep. And like, I didn't even know, she, I didn't even know she'd gone upstairs. She's just asleep. She can sleep like that. And she hits me <laughs> and kicks me. I'm revealing way too much, I know. Um, we learned long ago to have two separate blankets. I'm about to do premarital counseling with a couple here. That will be part of premarital counseling. Like, because this is the reality, right? And, and, and you know what? When I get into... And she's... There's so much heat radio, radiating off of her. She sleeps under two like blankets that are like the curtain of the Holy of Holies in the <laughs> temple. And I don't know how she does that. And there's so much heat rating, but I get in the bed at a hotel and it's like nice sheets, like nice mattress, and, and I can't sleep. I'm like, where's my heat source, right? I mean, I have to run a fan on the other side. It's those things that cause me to adore her. There's so much more, but tell her it's because she's very hot natured. And uh, anyway, what does it look like to adore God? Well, we adore because we know adoring is praising God for who he is. We thank God for what he does. We adore God because of who he is. And the heart of adoration is true understanding of who we are adoring. Proper adoration and worship is only possible with proper knowledge. So a way of putting this is proper theology leads to proper doxology or worship. Proper understanding of God leads us to proper adoration. And so the more we understand, the more we admire. John Stott said that all worship is an intelligent 
and loving response to the revelation of God because it is the adoration of his name. And only when we understand who Jesus is can we truly adore him. So John chapter 1 gives us a picture of the depth of the being and the attributes of Jesus Christ. Not, so, not just so that we would know it and we'd be able to pass a test on who Jesus is, but so that we would know him. Not just so that we can respect him and admire him, but so that we can receive him. This isn't an admiration society. This is an adoration society. And we need to know him so that we will adore him. So who is Jesus according to this passage? Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. This is the way we want to think about Jesus Christ in this passage. The word in the beginning was the word and then the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word in the beginning in verses 1 and 2 is as verse 17 tells us Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. So let's break this down for just a little bit. We'll give you a little theology lesson. Hopefully it'll help. Jesus is the name that was given to the baby when the baby was born. Joseph, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, gave the name Jesus to the baby. When the second person of the Trinity, known here as the Word, was hanging out in heaven... Now, I can't say this for certain, but I don't think the father was calling him Jesus because that was the name reserved for the baby that would be born in Bethlehem, put in a manger to Joseph and Mary. Everybody with me? So Jesus is the earthly name of God, the second person of the Trinity, who we know in this passage as the word. Why? Because the angel said, you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Christ, so Jesus Christ there in verse 17, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? Christ, Jesus had a half-brother named James. Nobody was calling James, James Christ. Okay? Christ is the title, Messiah, that was given to Jesus by the Father, by his Father who sent him. He's the Messiah that had been promised since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. There needed to be a head crusher of the snake that was going to come, and the Christ would be the one who would do that. The Christ is the Messiah promised to us in Isaiah that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, that he will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the one that's promised, and he's the one who has come. So when we talk about Jesus, we are talking about the Word made flesh. Is everybody with me on that? When we say Jesus, we mean the Word made flesh. And what we understand from this passage of Scripture is the Word made flesh was the Word before flesh. Okay, let me say that again. The Word made flesh has been around. In fact, what we're going to see is several truths about the Word made flesh that help us understand who Jesus is so that we can adore and be amazed again at what happened in Bethlehem, in that manger, right there in that stable, on a night that seemed nondescript until angels started showing up. It was just a normal night for a bunch of shepherds on a hillside before angels showed up. It was just a Normal night, busy night in Bethlehem with a whole bunch of your in-laws coming in to hang out until a baby was born. So what do we learn so that we can adore 
Jesus rightly. The first thing is this. The Word made flesh is and always has been God. Look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That word was is really important. Because later we're going to say the Word became flesh. But here, the word was. And there's another guy that that John mentions here. And he mentions John the Baptist comes along, right? John the Baptist comes along and he was not the light. He was not the one. He was not the word. He was not because he was created. He came. He was not in the beginning. So let me put it this way. The distinction in this passage is clear. The word was is mentioned so many times at the beginning of this passage that it's to point out to us and to remind us that the word did not come into being. He always has been. That he always has been. Unlike John the Baptist, who was sent from the Father, or the word becoming flesh at a particular time and a particular moment in Bethlehem on one night, the word himself has always been. The word was. That's the way you can talk about it. The word was. Because then we also learn the word is. And we also learn that the word will be. But we have to understand the eternal nature of the word. He did not become the word. He always was the word. This is why Jesus in John 10 says, I and the Father are one. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So all of the fullness of deity, all of the fullness of God, of being the word, then gets put inside a baby, put inside a man who grows, put inside flesh. This is the beauty of the word made flesh. The word made flesh is and always has been God. Second in this passage, we see that the word made flesh was the word before he took on flesh. It's really important for us to understand this because we think of Jesus, I think, sometimes as the guy who lived. Jesus lived for 30-some years, and then he died on a cross, and that's true. But the ministry of the Word made flesh had been going on since the beginning. The Word had been doing the work. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And when he took on flesh, he became known as Jesus. Before that, he still was the Son of God, known here as the Word. So we sing things like, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. He took on the appearance of humanity. He took on our flesh. The Word made flesh is the way that God has communicated in his creation and to his creation. The way that God has spoken and declared to his people who he is. And he's done that in various ways throughout history. He did it through creation. And then in Hebrews 1, we're told that he did it through the prophets. And he did it through the apostles. He did, he did it in different ways. But in Hebrews 1, 2, it says this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Did you catch that? He's declared himself through the Son, through the Word made flesh, who also created the world. How did God create the world? Anybody remember how God created the world? How did he create humanity? 
He spoke. This is the creative reality of Jesus. He's the radiance. Jesus is this sun, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Another way of thinking about this is when Scripture tells us in Revelation, when, when the word is standing there before John the apostle, and he says he was like shining in white, he had like a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, radiant and bronze feet. And you guys remember this picture where he, he hears the voice before he sees the, the person, and he turns and he sees this vision And this is what he hears. This is what he's told. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Maybe some of you, when you were in college, you had some Greek letters on sweatshirts that you would wear because you were in some sort of Greek society. And whatever yours were, they probably weren't Alpha Omega, right? But Alpha and Omega, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end of what? Everything, including the Word. He is God's declaration. He is the Word, the alphabet of God. He's the way that God has spoken to his creation. And he did it by creating all things and being Lord of all things. The word before flesh created all things and is Lord of all of them. All things were made through him, verse 3 says. And without him was not anything made that was made. In Hebrews 1, we read he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And in Colossians chapter 1, we read he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the creative word of God, the spoken word. He's the spoken word of God into the void that brings light into the darkness. He's the spoken word of God that declares, let there be light and let there be life. He's the one who takes void and fills it by his word. He's the one who takes death and says, come out, come forth, and brings life. He's the one who created all things, and he is the Lord of all. I want you to think about this in the passage in Colossians. It says, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. The first time Jesus spoke, or the first time the word spoke, it wasn't let there be light. It might have been let there be Michael, let there be Gabriel, let there be heaven. Did you catch that? The word, the son, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who has spoken all things into existence. And he's the one who's Lord over all of them. So when he speaks when he puts on flesh and he speaks and he says peace be still to the wind and the waves they listen because he spoke them into existence and when he looks at a demon who is now against him he says go into those pigs over there the demon goes into the pigs 
And when he speaks into a cave, into a tomb, and says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus gets up and walks. Because he is the creative word of God. Fourth, I want you to see the word made flesh is the author and the giver of life and light. I mean, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in verse 4 of John 1, we read, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John 3, Jesus says this way, The word made flesh, Jesus says it this way, Men hate the, dark, or men hate the light because they want to keep their deeds hidden. They love the darkness more than the light. They will stay in the darkness and not come in to the light. But he's the one who speaks into the darkness and brings light. He's the one who comes to bring light and life. Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. When the word became flesh, the light came into the world. I am the light of the world. He's the one who has brought light and life to all. That's why we sing. I love, that's why I love Christmas songs so much. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. I mean, you just listen to the songs you're singing at Christmas time. There's so much good theology in them because what we're learning in singing those songs is this. We talk about miracles all the time, but the greatest miracle is that God took on flesh. That the word became flesh. That the one who created Mary and Joseph became their baby. Like, think about that. That makes no sense. Except God decided that's the way it was going to be. That he would become one of us. And he would take on flesh. And we should be wowed by that. We should be amazed by that. We should adore him for that. Fifth, the word made flesh is God's undefeatable, redemptive plan revealed. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I could preach for the next 70 years on that. Just that phrase right there. That the word made flesh is God's undefeatable, redemptive plan revealed. Look at verse 4. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I don't know about you, but when I turn on the news, it does not seem that way. This one is hard for me to believe. This one is hard for me to fathom that this is true. It must have been really hard for the disciples on Good Friday, what we call Good Friday, which for them was the worst day ever, when their Savior King was put on a cross and crucified by the Romans and spat upon by the Jews. I'm sure they didn't look at that and say, you know, God's plan is undefeatable. No, in fact, we know that three days later, they're still going, I know he said he was going to rise, but... And they're wandering down streets aimlessly, it seems, just going, we don't even know what to do with ourselves. And Jesus shows up and goes, "Uh, didn't you read? Haven't you heard? Don't you know? How did you miss this? They, They missed the fact that nothing could get in the way of God's plan. And even the darkness could not contain him. Even death could not defeat him. God's redemption plan was so secure 
that God determined it would be accomplished by the word made flesh speaking from the cross. Think about that. On the cross, because everything is held together by the word of his power, all he had to do was stop holding it together. He didn't have to look at everything there while he was on the cross and say, you're all destroyed. It's not, not, light didn't have to come shining out of his eyes and just like knock everything out. No, he just had to stop holding it together. But by the word of his power, he held it together and he went a step further. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He went a step further than that. He said, it is finished. And God's redemptive plan was undefeatable. He was accomplishing his purposes. And I want you to catch this because the darkness enveloped the earth when Jesus was breathing his last. And when he breathed his last and darkness seemed like it won, you know what was happening just down the road? In the temple in the Holy of Holies, access to the Father was now secured. And the curtain was torn in two. And light and life was brought to all. When darkness fell upon the author of life and light. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start putting those puzzle pieces together, the baby in the manger takes on a completely different perception, completely different adoration for me. Because the blood that was coursing through that baby's veins would save the world. This is what the Word made flesh is doing. Colossians 1 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word made flesh reveals who God is and reveals the glory of God to us. See, without the word made flesh, without the Word becoming flesh, without the Word taking on human form and becoming the man Jesus, we would never really fully know God. Jesus says, you see me, you see the Father. The text tells us no one has ever seen the Father, but, the, but God, the Savior, the one who has come, has made him known. He would reveal God's glory. Verse 14 tells us, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Without Jesus coming, we don't know God. We can't have a secure, true, eternal relationship with Him without the Messiah King, without the Word made flesh. And through the knowledge of Jesus, God has brought the light of life and the glory of the light and life of God into our hearts. Second Corinthians 4, 6, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite verses. I would tell you, this should be your Christmas verse right here, okay? If you want to memorize a Christmas verse, Luke 2 is great, okay? I had our girls, we had our girls memorize that when they were young, all of Luke 2. I'm just going to tell you, go ahead and remember this verse, Second Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That baby's face. That 
tender man's face who spoke to sinners, who healed the lame and the sick, the stern, angry face of the man who flipped over tables to run the money changers out, the broken and beaten and bloodied face, the Savior hanging on the cross, and the radiant face of the one who walked out of the tomb. In the face of Jesus, we get to see the glory of God. This is what the Word made flesh has done for us. And by doing so, the Word made flesh gives us a relationship with God. A relationship by truth and grace. We're told that we see the glory, but the glory is as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Not half grace, half truth, not sometimes grace, not sometimes truth, but truth and grace perfectly combined, 100% and 100%. The type of truth and grace that looks at sinners and says, I am the life for you. The the type of truth and grace that looks at the self-righteous and says, trust not yourself, but follow me. The type of loving truth and grace that allows now for those of us who have placed our trust in him In 1 John chapter 3, to know the kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. (laughs) The Father sent the Son so that he could have more children. And we get to be called the children of God now. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. God has made himself known, and the Word made flesh makes God known fully and finally by his grace. Look at verse 17, and we're nearly done. I want you to see this. It says, the law was given through Moses. So Moses spoke to the people, right, and gave the law. We've been studying that uh, ever since Exodus. Moses spoke to the people and gave the law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The fullness of the glory came through Jesus Christ. Just think of it this way. Moses went up on the mountain, got the law from God, and he comes back down and he declares it. And when he spoke to the people, they couldn't look at him because of the glory that was on his face. Remember that? He had to wear a veil forever because they couldn't look in his face because he had been with God. Jesus unveiled God for us. Jesus unveiled God for us so that we could see him, that we could know him. The way the text puts it here is that he declared God to us. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And that phrase, made him known, means he declared who God is. We get the declaration of God, the full revelation of the fullness of God. And that revelation brings us by his grace through faith into his eternal family. Titus 3 tells it this way, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Look at it real quick. It says, according to the loving kindness, goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. And then he goes down and he says, he poured out all of that washing and regeneration and all of that grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The word 
made flesh. So over the next few weeks, we're going to we're going to dive deep into some of these passages because in these passages, there's so much that causes us to adore, that causes our hearts to be drawn in. It's so easy this time of the year to get caught up in everything but Jesus. But the real transformation for this season is found in Jesus. The real adoration is in Jesus. And knowing Jesus is knowing God. And trusting Jesus is trusting God. And adoring Jesus is adoring God. And rejecting Jesus is rejecting God. And as the band comes up to lead us here in just a moment, there are only two real responses to Jesus. You either know him or you miss him. Another way of putting that would be you either receive him or you reject him. Isn't that what the text says? Look at verse 10. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You either know the word or you miss the word. You either know the word made flesh or you miss the word made flesh. Verse 11, he says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. Receive him or reject him. C.S. Lewis said he created mainly three results. Hatred terror, or adoration. But from him we have all received. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This is what Jesus has done. He has taken the unfaithful and made us faithful. He has taken the far away and brought us near. He's taken the void and spoken light and life. He's taken death and and say, come out, come forth from the grave, and live. That's worth adoring. That's worth worship. That's worth declaration to a world around us that Christ has come, and that he has brought light and life to all. Father, I pray that we would be a people now who would declare our adoration of Jesus and understand that we don't get to pick and choose when that is. We do that all the time. I don't get to pick and choose whether I adore my wife all the time. I'm called to love her with everything I have. I don't get to choose when it's convenient to love you and adore you. I'm called to declare my adoration of you, my love for you at all times. Lord, I thank you that you did not pick and choose, but you have chosen to love us eternally in the person of Jesus Christ. Help us to respond in adoration to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.